Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. So welcome everybody to Beyond 3D Roundtable. We're going to have an interesting conversation about AR, VR today. Uh, I think all of you know me. I'm Ron Fritz, CEO of Techsoft 3D. We partner with quite a few of you already, if not not all of your companies, and wanted to pull this illustrious group together to hear what you had to say about you know, what barriers are standing between the explosion that we all believe is coming in AR, VR, and what the industry needs to do. Let's start with some quick introductions going going around. I'll go by how I can see you. So, Asif, will you uh, introduce yourself for us, please? Absolutely. So, my name is Asif Rana. I work for Hexagon, uh, located here in Switzerland, close to Zurich. Uh, we are in the digital transformation business. I'm CEO at uh, Hexagon's Exalt Solutions Division. Great. How about you, Martin? Hello, good morning, everybody. My name is Martin Hordina. I'm uh, the CEO at Wikitude, uh, around in the space for quite a long time. So Wikitude was founded in 29 even. So like working in AR, focusing on enabling AR and very much looking forward to an uh, interesting discussion. About you, Susanna. Hi, everyone. I work for Autodesk. We make tools for people who make things, I guess, or companies. I lead the Forge part of Autodesk, and that's the platform. So we're sort of shifting from being a desktop company towards becoming a platform company. And the tech we need for that is built on top of Forge. As a company, of course, the ARVI is super important. I wouldn't say we've made massive inroads there, but we've got a keen eye on it at all times. Great. How about you, Thomas? Hi, uh, I'm Thomas. I'm the CEO of HaloClient. Uh, we make products, VR products for uh, production planning, assembly planning. We are quite young as a company, started in May this year as a, as a company, but we work on the products already for a longer time before we were working as part of a different company and we are a spin-off of that company. Yeah, I'm looking forward for, to the conversation. Great. How about you, Tony? Uh, I'm Tony Fernandez. I'm a founder and CEO of UE Group, which is a user experience consultancy in Silicon Valley. My work with AR and VR goes back over a decade, so it's been something that's uh, near and dear for a long time. Great. As I as promised, it's an illustrious group. It's an interesting set of perspectives. Some people that have been very deeply involved in AR and VR for a long time. Some whose companies have uh, maybe tried some initiatives. And, uh, and in Tony's case, basically looking at the user experience side of things. So I guess we'll just roughly go in the same order and put the questions to put the, the main question to everyone and then see where the conversation goes from there. And that question is really that everyone, all of us probably really had a belief, Martin from 2009 and maybe others somewhere between then and now, that really the, the use of AR and VR in industrial workflows is really about to explode. There's certainly been pilot projects, but we haven't really seen it kind of uh, really be mainstream, something that that 
most companies are using broadly or most individuals are even familiar with. So what we're curious about that this group's opinion about is what's the, um, what are those barriers that are standing in the way of that real widespread adoption and what should industry overall be focusing on to try and remove those barriers? Let's, let's start with you, Asif. Great. <laughs> Actually, you know, really, let me go back a bit uh, in my, uh, you know, academic history. When I did my master's in 2000, I did the final year project and that was the AR, use of AR in robotics. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And in my thesis, I wrote, you know, the time has come and really it's, uh, <laughs> let's create the application. And it's now 20 years, really. And, uh, you know, we have still to see the kind of widespread use of AR and VR now also. In the whole digital transformation business that we operate in, one of the fundamental things that we tend to forget when we think about, you know, commercializing a technology is the user experience. I think one of the main hurdles of AR, VR in the commercial usage is we don't think about the full user journey or how it will be used or the full kind of end-to-end solution. In many, many situations, you would go and see a demo for very, very narrow uh, use of the AR technology. And then somehow we expect that the user would automatically find out the, the full use case, you know, and then really start using it. So this is one key area that I think that we need to focus on if we want to bring it to a, a you know, really a broader uh, base. Mm-hmm. I have also other items, but I'll wait and then, you know, as the discussion. Yeah, great. Uh, well, you'll definitely find a supporter of that view in Tony when we, when we get to him. <laughs> How about you, Martin? What's your, what's your view on the barriers? Yeah, so like uh, one point as he's brought, I think that would have been on my list as well. So uh, as mentioned, we are around forever in this space. So like when we were founded, we made it to like the front cover of The Economist magazine to uh, as kind of the the leading platforms of the future. And this was like Facebook, um, Google, and Wikitude. So because like... Heady times. So AR is going to be as huge as those, uh, those guys are. So obviously we're like a bit smaller, so 32 people at this point. But again... So I think uh, one of the key obstacles has always been that AR was always a kind of tech first topic. So everybody looked at, looked at technologies rather than in kind of kind of what could be used. So uh, and what, what it could be used for. So there have been so many POCs, so many kind of everybody looked about like computer vision and algorithms and kind of benchmarks, but nobody really talked about for a long time what could be achieved. Even when people started to talk about what could be achieved, they um, many people didn't really look at the full picture and at uh, how things can be scaled aside from like a single isolated kind of use case. So it's good to see that things are uh, looking much brighter these days. But the kind of looking at the user, looking at the value AR can create, and finally looking at the data original can only visualize what's underneath. And as long as like uh, the underlying basis is missing, there is nothing that can be visualized. And, uh, and therefore that's what like, to me, like the key point aside from like four or five others, but uh, happy to, to comment on those later. Great, Susanna, what's been your experience? 
Yeah, so I, and I think like many of us, I've got a long list, so I'm going to try and, and I agree with everything that Asif and Martin said, they were on my list too. I'm going to go all technical on us here for a moment, just because that's maybe my specific angle for the Bring in it this on. context. <laughs> Not that technical. So I think one thing that's lacking is XR pre-processing and data preparation. So CAD design data to mesh, poly count reduction, that kind of stuff. And also it needs to be automated, robust, fast and scalable. And all of that at the moment still seems to require too much manual work to really have this takeoff that we've been waiting for for 20 years. Right. I've got more on my list, but I'm going to yeah. give other people a chance to talk to. Great. Uh, how about you, Thomas? Yeah, I think maybe also, again, all the other points are valid from my perspective too. But um, I think they, another point maybe is that uh, the new technology is mostly marketed as a B2C product. And, and maybe from that perspective, companies tend to, to see it still as, as more of a game technology and not really as a purpose for, for, for real business, doing real stuff. Uh, and, and maybe also there are some privacy issues maybe concerned with that. So, so you have this vendor lock-in, like the, the move that Oculus made lately, I think is also uh, quite critical from a, from a business perspective. Yeah, so maybe that to add to the list. Mm -hmm. Tony, how about you? Well, I, I would say I, uh, I agree with everything that's been said, but I, I would say that much of what's been discussed is really a symptom of a core issue, which is that this technology did not come out from a human-centered point of view. It came out from a technological exploration point of view. And what that has meant is that the human factors of this technology are terrible. You know, if you think about it, you know, who thought it was going to be a great idea to duct tape a TV to your head and uh, blindfold you, you know, you know, in terms of uh, VR and in terms of AR, you know, one of the things that we see continually is just the fatigue that goes into arm movements and body movements to whether, you know, you're dealing with glasses or you're dealing with anything uh, of that sort that people just don't want to do. Their arms physically get tired. And because the technology hasn't revolved about around the reality of what the human body does how it gets fatigued and how people feel motivated to use their body it will continue to suffer independently of uh, the value proposition in many respects yeah that's interesting so it seems that that user experience is a is a common one and i think we probably all are familiar with what's 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 challenging about it which tony articulated really well so it seems like the hardware companies in particular are are aware uh, of this barrier and have been working on it, but how close are we to, you know, an approach and a, and, and hardware or what needs to be different for people to feel comfortable? Let's go in the opposite order this time. How about you, Tony? Well, I think uh, in terms uh, of the hardware solution, I think when we get to compact glasses, we're going to be much closer than ever before. I think mobile AR is a really difficult problem. I mean, to give you an anecdote, you know, we worked with a technology company to come up with a solution for watching uh, NFL games. And their vision was to use AR on a mobile platform to bring the home viewing experience to the stadium. 
And it sounds really good in theory, but if you think about the fact that you paid maybe over $100 to be sitting in the stadium and somehow be expected to be holding your arm up the whole time to get the same thing that you could get sitting on the couch comfortably, uh, probably in much uh, better temperature, it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's the fundamental problem with how solutions are thought of. I, I think it has to not involve people's uh, bodies being used in unnatural ways. I, I see glasses as being the closest to that. Of course, glasses come with a problem of power and you know where all the battery is going to go, et cetera. But I, I think that's, that's what it's waiting for in terms of a hardware platform solution. Hmm. Almost, what do you think about that, hmm. with the hardware barriers or the physical barriers or user experience overall? Yeah, I wonder whether they are whether there are the same expectations in an on an enterprise level that they are on a consumer level. And what you just explained was was a consumer situation, mm -hmm. right? And yeah, in enterprise world, you see more more you see technology that's not so comfortable to use, and it, that still delivers such a high value that it's that it's used anyways. And and maybe I I think still it's it's rather on the content side actually what we need to do especially in the enterprise area that we can deliver tools and 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 products that really make a difference that really deliver value and then maybe uh, the current uh, hardware is already good enough let's say but still of course I I also think that the the, the hardware companies is coming back to the point that I mentioned earlier. Uh, that they should understand also that the the enterprise world works a bit a bit different, and that they if they produce products, maybe it's not important that they are the cheapest, but that they are really privacy uh, um, that they make sure that privacy uh, is met, and and these type of things. I think maybe there's there are some more business case related things that the hardware companies can do that will help us a lot in the enterprise sector. Mm -hmm. Susanna, what's your what's your take on the user experience? Yeah, I'd like to combine what Tony and Thomas just said. So I take your point, Thomas, about the enterprise use case that may put up with all sorts of inconveniences. But when I think of a use case for us, that would be like on building sites, construction sites, architects, construction experts, whatever the term is. And I think some comfort, some sort of natural human thing, because you're not in an isolated situation, you're on a building site, you're in a real place. I think Tony's point of it having to be natural to the way we conduct ourselves as human is also part of it. And it's only a small aspect that I want to tease out here, but it's the limited field of vision. I mean, it, our eyes don't just look, I mean, at the moment they are, but normal in normal life, we don't look straight ahead of us. We've got all these things going on on the side. And excluding that in a potentially dangerous environment like a construction site does strike me as mm -hmm. a risk factor. Mm -hmm. What's your view on the user experience, Martin? Yeah, I think the most important point, um, or like the most, most important term heard by uh, in the last few minutes was I think things have to feel natural. And I think that one isn't like a natural way of kind of uh, use, consuming AR. Also, kind of when you wear like uh, a Hololens, it's cool, but it's nothing that you really want to wear for ten hours per day at, the, at your working space. If you have like some other type glass, uh, while it's hand-free, chest recognition isn't really natural at this point. Uh, when you have to kind of change batteries every ten minutes or every hour, doesn't feel natural. So I think if things have to feel natural. That I think one aspect, and the second one is I think context. So um, so many AR use cases totally lack context. And I think Tony was, was referring to 
to like uh, like NFL. One of like um, the use cases I really hated or really hated about kind of projecting NFL rosters on your desk. It doesn't make any sense, you know. It's like it, it's a good technology demo, but why do you want to kind of consume like some NFL roster placing on a messy desk, right? So there are so many other user interfaces like that are so much more that make so much more sense. Where kind of um, AR needs to be needs to really link reality to a reasonable set of content, and therefore the context is really important. And without context, AR doesn't make any sense. Gotcha. How about you, Asif? Uh, really good inputs, honestly. Um, I, I believe that one of the challenges we have here is a common man's definition of AI. That really is also a hindrance in, in, in you know, tackling these hardware challenges. For a very long time, the common man's definition was to wear something here and have some kind of uh, you know, goggle or something that augments the reality. I think the coming on board of uh, tablets and smartphones, that has really helped a lot to expand the, the use case of the AR. Many use cases that now we are seeing, for example, in smart factory on production floor, they wouldn't in past even qualify for AR use case just because the definition was too narrow, you know, or at least, you know, in people's minds. It wasn't narrow te technologically. We knew that they are all still AR use cases, but they were not seen as, as such. So now, for example, in one use case where we, we work in, the, in a live manufacturing environment in an augmented reality manner. So you kind of you know scan the, the the device or the machine you know through some barcode or QR, and then you allow the data to kind of flow in live from the machine. It's a terrific use case, really, and uh, fully capable of being delivered with the existing hardware. And uh, you, you just go there, you have your device or ruggedized. It doesn't even have to be ruggedized, but if you have it, it's better. And then you get it, and then you you look at it. You get whatever you want to do there, and then all, all the data, you know, documents, whatever is there. So I think absolutely it would be nice to have more ergonomic hardware to, uh, to support the use cases. Uh, but on the other side, just because of the richness of the AR portfolio now, we, we can already deliver many use cases with the existing technology. Susanna, you were starting to go into a bit more of your list of the necessity for data prep in XR use cases and how manual that that still is, which of course is connected to the user experience if someone has to sit down and manually do that. But let's talk more about what you were, you know, what, what you were getting at there and what you've seen and get everyone's view on that as well. Yeah, I think what you're referring to one is here, so I said that the data preparation, of course, that's another user. It's not the user has the goggles on, but potentially someone yeah. else is doing the prep for them. But yeah, it's the whole integration. So collaborative stuff really needs real we need real-time collaboration for it to really work right not not all the prep nonsense and for that yeah. we need the right data platform we need fast access to the design and make data if that's the environment that we're working in but what we really have are slow publishing workflows and that's kind of an area where it's stuck too so is anyone, I'd be interested to see what anyone's views are on that, whether they, we see any development there. Because just to step back a bit, I said Autodesk hasn't made great inroads there. But to be honest, we're kind of, I mean, we're experimenting and we have teams working on it, of course, and we are ramping up. But we're also sitting on the fence waiting for this 
you know, what you said, Dusty, for 20 years, we've thought it was around the corner and we're waiting for it to actually break out. So mm. what do you think? How is it another 20 years? Surely not. Now that the conversations have blown wide open. Don't wait for me to call on you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, uh, just just uh, to build on that, you know, I, I, I'm a big uh, believer in getting to root causes of problems. And I think one of the root causes, just building on the comment that was made about the use cases and how we think about hardware, I think there's also a lot of uh, problems in how we think about the content itself. And it starts with the idea that it has to be 3D somehow, and it has to be additive in somehow, you know, in some manner. And the fact is, it's not 3D, it's 2D, right? And we use techniques that were developed in the Middle Ages in terms of perspective and gradient color to create an illusion. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's about conveying information, right? That is uh, difficult for you to get any other way. And I think people who are creating content, creating solutions get so locked into, well, it has to be in real time and it has to be in space and it has to be all of these things that they forget that the fundamental need is to add value in a way that is not possible by any other means. And, you know, and there are examples out there. There, uh, The best example of AR that I've seen is actually in use by the military on the uh, F-35 fighter jet, where it it's used through the goggles to extract the airplane from the field of view where you, you as the pilot look like you're flying through space, just your body. Mm. And it's able to do that by taking in the video signals and blending it together to create that field of view. And in general, with if you think about most of the applications that we see for AR, they're all additive, right? It's all putting on more layers. And I think, you know, the construction site example you know, wouldn't it be amazing to put on goggles and see the ventilation, which is a subtractive approach to the content, right? So I, this maybe sounds harsh, but I think one of the fundamental problems is the 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 incredible lack of creativity that has been applied to this issue. It's still in demo uh, where, you know, of like, let's glom on more stuff, you know? And now mm. we've got little flying birds and, uh, you know, so anyway, I, I, I think there's just a very fundamental problem that relates to how people think about creating solutions with this technology. I, I would agree to that point because if, if the, the, the hardware is still not as comfortable as to, to use as other hardware, then uh, the, the use case or the value that you can do must be even more uh, more prominent and even more uh, more valuable for you to use. And I think it's it's very important what you said that that we must think about what can we do with this technology that we can't do with other technology, and that we really uh, have a, a completely new new perspective on the content that we deliver. What I would also like to add is that we should maybe not see this technology mainly as a as a visualization technology where we have new means to visualize data but also even more as an interactive technology, because I think there is a, a high chance with this technology to have a new form or new forms of, of human communication, of human knowledge 
uh, that you can that you can involve in working with digital data through this natural interaction interfaces that we have. I think there there is where where you have this type of of knowledge that you need to transfer into digital data. I think there is a high chance that you can have a valuable uh, experience and that you can do something that you can't do with other technologies. Thomas, are you thinking of things like uh, surgeons practicing open heart surgery? Is that what you meant by? Yeah, so I mean, actually, I, I think practicing open heart surgeries. I mean, you can also do that on on uh, on other bodies or on, on uh, artificial bodies. I think, especially, I think the training use cases never really struck me very well. I mean, I think it's a great e-learning technology, virtual reality. I think you can learn a lot with that. But I think more that uh, I mean, we have uh, humans have a kind of of knowledge that it's really difficult to translate in in or to symbolize, right? For this type of embodied knowledge or or maybe implicit knowledge or experience knowledge i don't know how you want to call it but it's it's a type of knowledge that is somewhere in our body and that's really hard to symbolize but if you sit in front of a desktop you you need to symbolize basically everything that you want to communicate to the computer and i think in vr it's possible to have a certain type of communication uh, about embodied knowledge through simply demonstrating it to someone else or just doing it and acquiring the knowledge in the interaction with the environment, where I think there is, a, there, there is something that, that we can't do with other technologies. And um, yeah, so that, that's, that's the way that I'm thinking about it. This uh, interactive cap capacities enable us to use a different type of, of knowledge or experience when working with digital, digital data. Uh, from my standpoint, so so there are there are two things where I would like slightly disagree, right? So so uh, as Tony mentioned, like creativity, I would agree in terms of like people have to be more creative what they can do. At the same time, like we have like tens of thousands of developers using using our, our tech, and it's like very eye-opening to see what creativity is out there. So what there are so exciting use cases, so exciting things being produced, uh, which is very eye-opening. So I, I wouldn't see a lack of creativity in this space. Also, when you when you look at when you talk about uh, interactivity, I think uh, lots of people would love to be to be more interactive. But it's one thing to kind of experience AR, and right now people are just experiencing AR for uh, for for the first time. So people just learn to walk, and and if we kind of present them some kind of interactive multi-stage AR experience, uh, and and like that that allows like multi-user collaboration, which is super exciting. But uh, people are not there yet, right? So, so people, uh, we need, need to almost like take the users by the hand and kind of guide them into uh, how to use and how to experience AR. The biggest obstacle I see there is now scalable production of content for AR. So we have like so much content out there, uh, but it's very hard to get this content from whatever system into augmented reality. So, so typically uh, AR agencies in a B2C model or kind of even like in a B2B model, uh, industrial companies have to almost like clone content, reproduce content, manually repurpose content for AR. And uh, as soon as there is not a kind of some kind of automated workflow, people, uh, companies will always refrain from investing in AR because it doesn't scale, it doesn't, uh, doesn't fly to produce like a separate AR silo uh, aside from all the data you already have in your system. And as I see like so many efforts, um, I think Techsoft is a, is a very good example for companies who do now uh, specifically look into how can we repurpose content that's available? How can we repurpose data that are available 
for AR, potentially also for, for VR, seeing all those efforts and initiatives, that makes me look very positively into, into the next month and years to come in terms of like breakthrough of AR. Really good comments, uh, Martin. And actually, now I have two comments to make. <laughs> I was going back to Susanna's um, you know, question that she posed, if this um, kind of pre-processing would really kind of stymie us for the next couple of years to start using. You know, it's so similar to the problem we had some time ago about the whole IoT stuff that now we are seeing also in the uh, AR and VR. To my understanding, there is really a lack of standardization across the whole industry. Like everyone starts in their own big initiative, uh, be it the hardware manufacturers or the software, or even the content authoring also, you know. It's so individualistic, like literally you have to do what Martin was saying, you know, to redo it. Uh, there is no way. So I don't think there's a dearth of creativity also, but I think there is really, uh, this creativity is not flowing universally across the whole kind of available platforms and the user base. So this, this really is a problem that I see from my angle. And then the other thing, Martin, that you mentioned is also extremely interesting. You know, the cultural aspects, are we there yet? You know, is everyone really ready to use that? And that's what we see also in the field. Like one of the use cases that's often uh, projected is the, um, uh, the remote maintenance, remote support use case. You know, when you are in the field, you are looking at the things, then someone is projecting that information and, uh, you know, to this person's view or vice versa. <laughs> the field workforces, you know, to, to bring them to use this really, uh, you know, with passion, I, I think there is still some time that we are there. I'd like to pick up on your point, Asif, on standardization, because that was on my list too. And I've got a long list of uh, complaints about standardizations, which I won't run through. You'll be pleased to hear. But one thing that occurred to me while you were talking, Asif, was, well, maybe that is a sign that it's still early days for the tech. You know, if we think of other early tech, that's what happens. Everyone's spinning up their own APIs, their own standards. And at some point, the winner, if you like, emerges or two or three. Anyway, a smaller number than we have at the moment. Well, maybe that's a sad sign that it is going to be not just a couple of years until this breaks through, because that really has to be resolved before we get anywhere. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I suppose it's market forces that will resolve it. I mean, in, in terms of integration, um, Susanne, because you said that, I mean, you, you're working with Autodesk and, and you basically have the platform there, right? I mean, you have the ecosystem. So so in terms of integration in, uh, in use cases or in ecosystems that the companies or the clients already use, I mean, you would have rather good rather good conditions, right? So Yeah, and we're investing in USD and hope that'll be the one. So, so where's the blocker then for Autodesk to do this type of integration? Priorities, I guess. But yeah, we're, we're investing, and you know, I'm not here at random today. We are investing more in it than we have in the past. You know, previously, as I said earlier, we've had some uh, pockets. You know, we've got in Germany, we've got a team who's doing a lot of AR, VR around automotive. We've got some other teams doing research. We're going to pick it up now because mm -hmm. we are seeing it coming. But that's why I'm so curious about your views. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is definitely a, a huge problem also for enterprise use case. I think that there's a lot of uh, um, software and tools already available and there are uh, working processes that, that have been done for the past years. And now you have to integrate there, right? You know, you have to find 
uh, you have to make it easy for the user to start with something that they already have. Uh, and that's very difficult if you have to start from scratch. That's just what you just said before also. Uh, maybe it is it is standardization, but I also think it's very difficult to have the standardization before you have the technology, right? Because you don't really know what you would like to standardize for then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind mm -hmm. of a head and egg problem, I think. Yeah, absolutely. If we could see into the future, it would be so much easier. But we already knew that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. So um, let's let's spin to a, a, a positive perspective on it. As everyone's companies here are investing in, um, and so many other companies, Google, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, are investing heavily on the belief that we are really getting close. We are removing some of these barriers, some of the resistance that the cultural cultural elements will get resolved that these problems will get solved and this is an area that's ripe for real explosion but what what makes you hopeful that 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 we're really close uh, on this area like why do you why do yeah what what's driving your confidence let's 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 uh, start with you thomas i think we we have uh, we have seen it's not so new that we uh, i mean i mean i think the expectations were quite high but they are not so high anymore for the past years and what makes me optimistic is that there is that the companies, especially the hardware vendors, are still investing in it and uh, pushing it forward more and more. Because I think that it is a, it is a long way to to bring a, a technology, hardware technology, from a early kind of mm -hmm. prototype to a really usable product, and that and to have them to really keep on with it, keep on going with it. Uh, that's that's making me optimistic. And of course, we also see. Uh, that uh, at the same time, more and more content is now produced that makes more sense. And it's really, I think, this this very important uh, uh, perspective to to see that you, you need a different type of tools that you use with VR and that just not just have the same tools that you had before, but just manipulate them differently. Uh, so I, I think it's just, I, I see the progress. It's slower than everyone expected, but it's still ongoing. And um, I think, uh, yeah, it makes me optimistic that we will uh, keep on and it's, at some point we will see the, the more widespread adoption. How about you, Susanna? What's what's your view and Autodesk's view of like, oh, you're clearly investing in it. What makes you think that we're, 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 we're getting there toward a breakthrough? Well, let me turn this the other way around. I mean, we're hearing so much from our customers about how it's needed and what the expectation is. Mm -hmm. Some of that will be a reflection on hype that they see in the media, but mm -hmm. a significant proportion is a real need and Martin, you mentioned HoloLens earlier. So wearing that headset is, I imagine, terrible. I haven't tried it on, but it does allow you to make those important decisions sort of on the spot or much faster at least, rather than having to look at something, take a photograph, go back to the office, think it through, discuss it. You can see it and share it with other people. It will speed everything up. It's faster decisions, it's better decisions. So there's a real need in the market and a lot of this stuff is driven by market need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, earlier on, Asif mentioned this use case of, you know, a barcode on a machine and all this data that streams. It, it did seem for a long time that that AR was, a, and, and VR as well, was a technology looking for a problem to solve. And, but increasingly, we are bumping into these use cases that are get, get pretty well defined in an industry that says it'd be highly useful if I could do this, this, yeah. or this. And it seems like we're moving in that direction. And just Tony, to grab myself for yeah. longer, being able to experience the spatial environment properly 
without having to have that skill of being able to translate something that's drawn in 2D into something we can imagine from an architectural, from an architect's point of view, an architect's customer's point of view. It's, it's invaluable. Mm-hmm. And Tony, I wouldn't presume that you do have confidence that AR is poised for a breakthrough because I, 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 I don't really know, but, but what, what, what would you look for? Or, or so, first of all, what is your view? And if, what, what signs would you look for? Well, you know, I, I, I definitely, um, I, I come from multiple generations of it's just about to break through. Mm-hmm. So I'm tainted. Uh, I'll be totally honest. I think something like HoloLens, you know, the promise of it is really cool until you realize that you're going to spend about three hours a day doing this, uh, you know, which is, you know, goes back to my human factors problem. I would say that the fundamentals of the promise will shine through ultimately, which is to reveal information and perspectives that will be that will be difficult to do any other way. I'll, I'll be honest with you and say that for us as a company, the things that we think about and that we're experimenting with, I would say are not what people traditionally define as AR. I mean, we're looking at how how you deal with getting that value when you don't have real-time information after the fact, how it doesn't necessarily all have to be visual in nature, right? That it can be haptic in nature, that it can be lots of other uh, things. And, you know, we have uh, over the last few years done a lot of work with surgical devices that involve augmented reality. And I see a lot of potential there. Of course, when you're dealing with accuracy that needs to be down to single millimeters, sometimes one or two millimeters, you know, that uh, in itself creates another kind of barrier when you're dealing with, you know, with something that is that uh, mission critical. But I, I, I look at it as the need to visualize information that is otherwise difficult to do any other way or get access to is going to drive the solution. But uh, I'm not necessarily a believer that the way most have defined AR at this point is necessarily the path forward. Mm, interesting. How about you, Asif? What what gives you, if, if you have reasons for hope, what are they? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I already mentioned that this uh, yeah. product that we launched is uh, really getting some, some good traction. So, you know, we, we are seeing the fruits of it. But I, I would like to mention at least three reasons why I'm very, uh, you know, feeling positive about it. One is the whole COVID thing, you know, the whole threshold and barrier to digitalization is broken. And we all know this. The journey that maybe would have taken 10 years is already, you know, uh, we are into it. And uh, many, many systems are getting, uh, you know, digitally transformed. So ground is really set also for AR to to take its chance. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second thing is more what we do in our business in the digital process, uh, management, business process management. So it really, the journey really starts with connectivity first, then it goes to the um, integration, then it goes to the digital workflows, and then you talk about the kind of intelligent business processes. You know, like 10 or 15 years ago, to just talk about uh, AR workflow, what kind of seemed completely out of context. There was no connectivity, there was no backend integration. The technology has really developed to this level that 
such use cases, we and everybody else also in the same space delivers within you know span of weeks, if not days. So you go, you integrate system, you get connectivity, and then you really start the users using the you know digital workflows. Once you have the workflow, to augment the workflow with AR is relatively straightforward. You just kind of you know get it to the next step. So this is the second reason. The third one is really the advent of this whole smartphone and tablets all loaded with features, uh, sensorics that are required for AR or VR. They are, you know, at tips of everybody who can then just use it and, you know, start use, uh, using the workflow. So I think really the time is very, very good and ripe for, for AR and VR applications. Great. I will we'll close with the views of the leader of the company that was on the cover of The Economist. <laughs> the, the voice of AR. Uh, we do have like a, a little unfair advantages. Uh, we don't have to rely on like trends or analysts or kind of market perceptions, but kind of we have like thousands of developers mm -hmm. using our using our tools on a daily basis to create AR use cases. So we can pretty much like sneak in and see what those guys are doing and working on. And um, things are just different than they used to be two or three years ago. So uh, people are, of course, they are working on PUCs as well, but like uh, the number of people who kind of are moving on from PUCs to commercial grade installations. The number of use cases we see that are, that are uh, no longer uh, for two, three, or five users, but suddenly for 10,000 or 20,000 users have increased so much this year. And I think, as I've mentioned, COVID-19 did play a role in that. And um, from a business perspective, so it's now nice to see that like um, we are no longer tapping into like the budgets of uh, the innovation units, but suddenly of like the business units. And that's mm. kind of uh, the ultimate sign that uh, things start getting real also in an enterprise space. Right, right. Yeah, when the check gets signed by the CFO, that's different than uh, yeah the head of the innovation department. That makes sense. Good. Well, we will close on that encouraging note then and thanks a lot for everybody taking 45 minutes of your time and all the thought you put into it prior about the about this industry and it was an interesting conversation i hope i hope everyone felt it was a valuable 45 minutes absolutely, absolutely. thanks everyone absolutely. Uh, thank you everyone. be in touch thank cheers thanks Take everyone bye. Yeah, bye bye thank you for joining us on the beyond 3d podcast hosted by techsoft 3d be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft 3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D. Beyond 3D.